All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every mystery novel written by the queen of crime, Dame Agatha Christie. I'm Catherine Broback. And I'm Kemper Donovan. And this week, we are tackling another Miss Marple short story, The Thumb Mark of St. Peter. And it was first published in May of 1928 in the Royal Magazine and under basically the same name in July of the same year in uh, Detective Story in the United States. I guess when you have a title like The Thumb Mark of St. Peter, you don't need to retitle it in the U.S., unlike the rest of the stories in this collection. Well... I mean, if he, you could tell me off the bat what the thumb mark of St. Peter meant, I guess you had more knowledge than me going into this. You know, Christy herself in her autobiography did mention that this was a particularly ridiculous title. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not really her strongest work. I, I wouldn't call it catchy by any means. Um, however... No, memorable, but not catchy. Indeed. Let's get to the victim. Um, other sure. than all of us... Because we have to suffer in this story through the engagement of one Raymond West and one Joyce Lamprier. True love will follow you forever. Come on, young lovers. It's so beautiful. I know. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Tragically awful people connecting together. Man and wife, same man and wife. It's lovely. This is also, I'd like to point out, this is the source of, of a major continuity error in the Christie verse, which is that when we next meet up with Raymond West and his wife, her name will be Joan. Well, but <laughs> maybe Joyce proved herself to be as garbage <laughs> of a person as Raymond himself. Maybe Joyce got free before she, <laughs> she left him at the altar. Have you the wind? Here comes my Wesley now. Perfect, the portcullis! She pulled a runner. I like that actually. That can be that can be our theory that Joan it was a runaway there's this bride. whole story that's never told. Yeah, it's a runaway bride situation. Joyce just she went back to rattle. Indeed, AKA to paint. Yeah, to, she went back to rattle to continue her Cornish sea paintings and realized <laughs> that Raymond West should just be left alone. Okay, so our true victim here, the murder victim, is Mr. Jeffrey Denman. And that is the violent-tempered husband of Miss Marple's niece, Mabel. And unfortunately for Mabel, uh, Mr. Denman came from a family of violently insane people. <laughs> More on that soon, in just a little bit. And As one he does. dies of what he dies of what appears to be, and this is not the first time we're coming across this in a Christie story, and I suspect won't be the last. Tomaine poisoning. Always a favorite. I mean with guys, just be really careful of your canned food. <laughs> the bulging cans. I just the, the number of times yeah, I've had to think about story, bulging cans. It's not bulging cans, it's apparently no. tainted mushrooms. So we Right, wild we, mushrooms. Yes. Yep, yep. So the theory goes. So let's talk about our suspects. So suspect number one is Mabel Dunman, who is his put-upon, meek, apparently kind of hysterical wife. So this is Miss Marple's niece, and I guess her entire town assumes that she murdered her husband. Right, because he's so awful. By the way, I don't know if I would describe her as meek. I actually think she's super annoying. 
and hysterical right. all the time. Right. I think Miss Marple yeah. implies she's really shrill. There's a lot of shade thrown at poor Mabel from Miss yeah, Marple. Miss Marple does not appear to particularly care for her niece. Let's just put it that way. No. We learn a lot about the hardness of Miss Marple in the story. Indeed. I, think. I did think it was a little odd that Mabel being Miss Marple's niece seems to be totally unknown to Miss Marple's nephew, Raymond West. Lest we ever forget that Raymond West is among the audience in these stories. So obviously she can't be his sister, but she has to at least be his cousin, although I guess it could be by marriage, and it's perfectly reasonable for cousins not to necessarily know about each other. So fine on that score. The only other thing I'd like to say about Mabel Denman, we don't know what her maiden name was, but we had been discussing a little bit on Instagram and elsewhere this anime series in Japan called Agatha Christie's Great Detectives Poirot and Marple, which aired in 2004 and 2005 that follows Miss Marple and Monsieur Poirot in various mysteries. And the adaptations are actually quite faithful to various short stories and novels of Christie's. The only major addition to the anime series is a character named Mabel West, who is the daughter to Raymond West in this world, who acts as Monsieur Poirot's assistant for the Poirot cases and uh, then is Miss Marple's great niece so that she can sort of assist Miss Marple in her cases. And as far as I know, there's not any Poirot-Marple crossover, but the character of Mabel West appears in every episode of that series. So I wonder if the creators of that series read this story and figured, well, Mabel is at least a name within the West family, and that's why they chose it. As far as we can tell, this specific story, The Thumb Mark of St. Peter, was not adapted within that series, though many of the stories within the Tuesday Night Club were adapted. For example, Ingots of Gold, which we already covered, as well as Motive versus Opportunity. There are also a number of Poirot stories that we've covered, such as The Disappearance of Mr. Davenheim, The Kidnapped Prime Minister, The Adventure of the Cheap Flat, The Jewel Robbery at the Grand Metropolitan, etc., etc. That Mabel also does have a pet duck named Oliver who follows her around and takes part in all of the mysteries. Because why not? Because it's anime. Anyway, that is Mabel. So our next suspect is Mr. Denman Sr., the father of the murdered man, who is insane. Again, insanity runs in the family. He lives in the house as Mabel, despite being incredibly annoying, is also incredibly kind. And she refuses to have him sent away to an institution. I just also want to be clear that I think when we're talking about insanity here, it's Mm -hmm. probably an incredibly offensive term that does not probably mean what it's implied to mean. I mean, I'm assuming that the man has Alzheimer's or something. Do you think he's violently insane? Yeah, I actually think it's more old school than that. And I think Christie is implying that he has tainted blood and that he is. Yeah, well, I think that that's what she's implying, too. But I mean, and that there's like a psychotic streak running through the family, like a streak of true psychosis. I don't think it's Alzheimer's. I don't think it's dementia. All right. Well, then then I'll feel less bad continuing to refer to him (laughs) as criminally insane. 
<laughs> Last suspect is Mr. Demon's nurse, who lives in the house with him. She doesn't really come into consideration so much in the story, although she does provide some crucial information. But she is there, and it's a short there's story. Also so like a housekeeper her. and a cook, and I mean, yeah, there just, are some there are some servants as well. Indeed. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the world as it appears to be. Yes. Miss Marple really hates her niece's marriage, but yeah, what can you do, I guess? Uh, especially when you also don't really seem to like your niece. <laughs> so <laughs> um, Jane, you know, keeps her distance. I underlined a few lines that as she's narrating the story that I just thought were really funny statements of her. She just makes a lot of statements of personality. And she says, as a matter of fact, I'm not very fond of staying in other people's houses. And I was like, I kind of feel you on that, Jane. I feel her on that, too. Yeah. So she sort of like kept on declining invitations to Mabel and her unpleasant husband's abode. Right. But then Jeffrey dies very suddenly. And so Jane being the ultimate busybody, sends her condolences and offers to come and stay, but Mabel's all like, no, you didn't come before. Then, not long thereafter, Mabel suddenly is begging Miss Marple to come and stay. Yeah, she writes begging for help, and Miss Marple knows that something is weird, something's up, so of course, being the busybody that she is, she speeds right along to her niece's place. Well, not before, and, not or, before putting all of her valuable silver in the bank vault. Yeah, as she puts it, I put Clara on board wages, that's her maid, I sent and sent the plate and the King, Tro- King Charles tankard to the bank, and I went off at once. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know, it's it's a great detail. But so she goes and stays with Mabel, and so she basically chides Mabel for having been apparently such an annoying, awful person that she alienated everybody in the town. And then it turns out that weepy Mabel is like, well, no, I didn't do it. Like, they won't talk to me. And Right. She's Yeah, I mean, Mabel is just a total mess, right? right? Perhaps one could say even a hot mess. She's just hysterical and nervous and way beyond as annoying as I think she was in Miss Marple's previous knowledge of her. And, but and it takes a while for her to get that information out that, oh, the reason why I don't see anyone and I'm in such a state is that the entire town thinks I murdered my husband. Right. And so Miss Marple's like, oh, OK, well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and then Miss Marple is like, so why are you lying to me now? What aren't you telling me? Right. And so Mabel's like, I, well, and it's very dithering, etc. Because the thing that this is so upsetting and macabre, the thing that Mabel has to admit to is that Mabel went to the chemist in town to purchase a boatload of arsenic to kill herself. Right. Then the chemist told everybody in town that she did so. Yeah, that she bought all this arsenic. And by the way, Miss Marple was so perturbed as she was getting this information that she dropped two stitches of a comforter that she was <laughs> making she for old Mrs. Hay. Did not and she didn't it. discover it until long after, which means I actually you know what I think that means. It's kind of implied she didn't correct them. No, there's so a that whole, blanket there's a whole has the blanket. wrong Stitches. So who's the victim of the story? Old Mrs. Hay, actually. It's a definite possibility. That blanket is is subpar, and Miss Marple generally does not make subpar 
knitted. It's also noteworthy articles. that Miss Marple's her opinion of the tragedy of this seems more directed towards those dropped stitches than towards uh, Mr. Dunham or her niece. Yeah, is this part of your dark Marple theory yeah, that she's sort of a sociopath? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Any, anywhere <laughs> that I can figure out a way to put it in. Sure, sure. So Miss Marple's like, well, you know what? I'm on it. We need to get to the bottom of this, so we've got to exhume the body. <laughs> and and poor Mabel, by the way. Mabel's like, oh, but do we really want to disturb the dead? And she's like, shut it, Mabel. Will you, with your sentimentality, bring up the body? I know, and she just does it so easily, too. It's like, it seems like Miss Marple has an amazing amount of judicial power. Yeah, that she's just able to bring that about. Well, she does. She, I mean, Miss Marple can get done whatever she needs to get done. And this, by the way, isn't even St. Mary Mead. This is not no, her town. She is just such a master. Well, she's such a master of psychology and human interaction that she can get results. That's the power of Marple. So they have an autopsy and they're looking for arsenic and they do not find arsenic. So what happened? Let's talk about the world as it actually is. There are two clues here. Clue number one is that the Denmans have a history of insanity in their family. And Denman, the senior, has crossed that point. There'd been talk of sending him to an institution, but it's Mabel who says that she just can't bear to do it. So the deduction there is, well, if Mabel is the one who can't bear to send the old man away, then who was it who was going to send him? wanted to send him away. Right, right. There's also perhaps that there's a corollary deduction here, which is that Mabel is an idiot. So if Mabel thought it was a good idea not to send him away, it probably was a good idea to send right. him away. Right. I mean, I think that that seems very clear from where we're about to go. But <laughs> Since he's violently insane, yeah. yeah. Clue number two involves, oh boy, it involves fish. <laughs> first. It involves fish first and poisons second. So remember, there's this whole were the mushrooms poisoned or not? And Miss Marple actually, another one of her really hard-edged statements that she makes is that she doesn't believe the cook who says, oh, you know, now that I think about it, the mushrooms probably really were off. And and she says, there is nothing that class cannot remember if it tries. I know. It's really a startling line, in all honesty. Well, the the use of that class and then it also. Right. She's saying if it, I mean, I know she's referring to the class. She's not calling a person it per se, but it's just the wording on that is, is unfortunate and really, really hard. Um, she also, by the way, denigrates the doctor as well, who she says is a dotterer. She calls him a dotterer well, and, and he, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. short sighted and that he mm-hmm. um, basically shouldn't be practicing is essentially right. what she implies because he can't see well enough and I guess isn't bright enough to do his job. And, well, and the implication also is that she just doesn't believe in doctors in general. She actually comes out and says, I have no truck with doctors and, and their medicines I myself. I know that she has a recipe for tansy tea that... Yes, she does. <laughs> that's all she needs. Would you drink a tansy tea prepared by Miss Marple, Catherine? No. <laughs> I would. Because well, I'll bet it yeah, has superpowers. Well, it has e- magical powers you're in the it. One, you're the one who doesn't believe in dark marble. <laughs> I really don't. I think she's a slightly crabby uber rational sort of a woman she suffers no fools that's all well i would just assume that my tansy tea was poisoned so back to this rather convoluted clue we were talking with the staff about the mushrooms at first and she doesn't really trust their memory and then there was the night that mr denman 
died and they all were saying that he was mumbling and not making sense and saying something about fish. So she finally says, well, but what was he actually saying? And, you know, she doesn't really trust the fact that what they're remembering is exactly what they heard. Perhaps he said something that they just didn't understand and it was taken out of context. So she really drills down on the staff to tell them what it actually was. And lo and behold, they're like, yeah, well, maybe he was talking about a specific fish. At one point, they also say like it's a heap of fish or a pile of fish. And she was like, heap or pile? And they finally say pile, definitely a pile. And maybe the fish started with a C. Right. That's as far as she gets with them. And Miss Marple then goes to the books. She does. And the house conveniently apparently has a ton of pharmacological indexes. Yes. There are two assumptions we can make here. One is that he was talking about fish. Or Or the other is that he was talking about something that sounded like a specific type of fish. I mean, she makes the assumption, which turns out to be correct, that he's not mumbling nonsense. He's saying something that has to do with either who killed him or what killed him. Right. And so the way that Miss Marvel figures this out is that she's thinking about this. And so she's walking through the village and she passes Mm -hmm. a fishmonger. First, though, what does she do? It's very important. What does she do before she actually sees the fishmonger? She says a little prayer. Right. Here's what she says. Now, I dare say you modern young people will laugh, but when I am in really bad trouble, I always say a little prayer to me. to myself anywhere when I am walking along the street or at a bazaar, you know, as one finds oneself, and I always get an answer. So Miss Marple has layers, and I still stick by the fact that she's an uber-rational person who suffers no fools, but she was brought up as uh, an Anglican, and she prays, and she seems to get great utility out of that prayer. Apparently so, because in that fishmonger window, she sees a haddock. (laughs) A haddock, you say? A haddock, I say. Although it's a little bit confusing <laughs> because I actually did look this up to figure out what the thumb mark of St. Peter was talking about. Is, yeah. And it actually, it could refer to a haddock, but it actually more commonly refers to a John Dory, which is actually What's called... a John Dory? Like a, is that another type of fish? Well, yeah. It's also like you order a John Dory off of a menu. It's like a common... You might do that. I've never done that. Well... Regardless, it's that itself is actually. It's in a, like it's a fish. It's a kind of fish. Yeah, it's a kind of fish. It's called a Saint Pierre okay. in French. It's actually a better example than the haddock. But in both versions, the thumb mark, and I think in some versions, like they call it like the devil's thumb too. I mean, there are other references to it. It's a dark mark on the dorsal fin of whatever fish you happen to be talking about that has it. And the interesting thing about it is it kind of resembles an eye in the water so that the fish can use it as essentially a defense mechanism to seem much bigger than they are and to throw predators off their target. Got it. But it's a dark mark. And St. Peter, being a fisherman, that's the reference point there. So when she sees it, she has something of a divine revelation when she sees the haddock um, and the 
St. Peter's thumb marks in this window, and she realizes that what she really needs to do is go back and focus on that fish comment. Right. She connected the two things together, faith and fish. Correct. At which point, everyone starts kind of laughing as she's telling this story at the Tuesday Night Club. I love this little detail. Sir Henry blew his nose rather hurriedly. Joyce bit her lip. Right. <laughs> and it's it's like, seriously, it's after, after how many of these stories, though, where Miss Marple's the one who solves every single one of them, are you going to keep being this dismissive towards her? I know, but it's a little bit... This is the only, the only place where I feel them because... And at Christie's ribbing, she's gently ribbing Miss Marple this entire story for being the slightly eccentric old lady that she is. I mean, she says, I saw, said Miss Marple impressively, the window of the fishmonger shop. There was only one thing in it, a fresh haddock. And then she looked round triumphantly. Oh, my God, said Raymond West, an answer to prayer, a fresh haddock. <laughs> yes, Raymond, said Miss Marple severely, and there is no need to be profane about it. Well, I mean, it's just yet another example of Raymond being horrible, but... Um, I know, but that one that one was a little bit, you know, he's, justified. he's, he's ribbing his aunt, and she's being a little ridiculous, and she, she understands. Fair, fair enough. Fine. Um, regarding, <laughs> Not to be an apologist for Raymond yeah, West, because like, he's garbage, like, again, let's did, just make that clear. When did you become a Raymond West apologist? <laughs> um, a Westian? Oh, my goodness. So... Uh, Dear Aunt Jane flips through those convenient pharmacology books, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it takes her a little bit of time because she has to guess on the letter. But she eventually happens upon, and I'm going to probably mangle this, but pilocarpine, which yes. if you said that and you had impaired breathing and were dying, it might be right. interpreted as pile of carp. And if you were a cook. Indeed. Who would hear carp perhaps more easily than anyone else. Again, context. Right. Um, she starts on the H's because of heap of carp. Then she goes to the P's because of pile of carp and finds ultimately pilocarpine or pilocarpine and discovers. So pilocarpine it serves the opposite function as atropine. And Which we've come across before in the chocolate box. Indeed. And so, as we know from there, what is one of the things that atropine might be used for? Eye drops. Yep. And so, part of this then immediately becomes, while well, he was having vision problems when he was dying, and then who else in the house had vision problems? Who would have atropine eye drops? Other than the doctor. Other than the doctor, Yes. <laughs> Well, we're, was, di- we're discounting him. <laughs> it was crazy, crazy dad. It was crazy dad. What's super unfortunate to poor Jeffrey is that apparently Jeffrey immediately realized what was happening to him. Right. And was frantically trying to tell anybody who would listen to him that he needed pilocarpine. As an antidote. As an antidote. <laughs> Antidote. What? The poison. It just straight up. <laughs> but they didn't understand what he was saying, and then he died anyway. Yeah, because they thought that he needed a pile of carp. What really <laughs> happened? So, I mean, it's pretty easy. A bunch yeah. of eye drops were dumped into a water glass at night, and he chugged it. 
he immediately knew what he had been poisoned with. And what's really sad is he knew who had poisoned him, too. And who poisoned him? His dad. His dad. So, of course, Miss Marple, not one to shy away from unpleasantness in this story or any other, but perhaps particularly this story, she marches on up to Mr. Denman Sr. and says, I know what you did. And he just laughs. Oh, yeah. He laughs and laughs and laughs. And this is one of the only times I've heard Miss Marple express discomfort at the viciousness of another human. She says, it was one of the most vicious laughs I have ever heard. I can assure you it made my flesh creep. I had only heard anything like it once before when poor Mrs. Jones went off her head. Mr. Demon's pretty much gone off his head, too. Well, and by the way, I, I'd like you to know that I cross-referenced the name Mrs. Jones with the woman who was name-checked at the end of the bloodstained pavement for killing five of her children for the life insurance. And I was like, oh, it must be the same woman because there can't be yet another woman. It's not. Yeah, it, no. That, that wasn't Mrs. Jones. No, that I, was Mrs. Green. I also, I also looked at that and I was like, you know... Miss Marple really knows a lot of these stories. So she says, she says at the beginning of this one that, um, you know, while she's heard a bunch of things and she's been involved in many interesting cases, it's been stuff like people's bags being cut. And that this is the only interesting story that she thinks that she has. And I was kind of like, we've already heard in this series, the story about the lady who murdered her five children. It's true. But I guess there was no mystery there. Right. I guess so. <laughs> um, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she, so she calls out the insane father. He laughs and then he is sent away to the loony bin. An insane, yeah, the loony bin, an insane asylum. The irony, of course, is that Mabel in her kindness kept him around and the son was the one who wanted to ship him away for very good reason. He took advantage of the fact that Mabel and son got into an argument and he, he did away with him and uh, he was sitting pretty until Miss Marple came on the scene. Presumably this has put Miss Marple off of Fresh Haddock forever after. Because she says she can't see a pile of Fresh Haddock without thinking of the thumb mark of St. Peter. Although knowing Miss Marple, she's probably like, oh no, I'm good. It's fine. I love oh, it. Oh, I feel like she'd be <laughs> fine about that. Because also, like... She's like, mmm, delicious. Well, also the Haddock, delicious the murder. Haddock had nothing to do with the actual murder. True. And so, if anything, the haddock was divine inspiration. That's true. But there's a last little button of deduction Ugh. to still be done the most macabre by Miss Jane part Marple. of this entire thing. <laughs> the darkest <laughs> moment of all in the Tuesday Night Club, just right at the bitter end. Um, Raymond West, of course, continues to be a garbage nephew and garbage human extraordinaire. Indeed. And he says, well, at all events, Aunt Jane, there's one thing that you don't know. Oh, yes, I do, dear, said Miss Marple. It happened just before dinner, didn't it, when you took Joyce out to admire the sunset? It is a very favorite place, that, there by the jasmine hedge. That is where the milkman asked Annie if he could put up the bands. Yes, Raymond and Joyce got engaged just that evening, and Raymond now uses the opportunity for a, just a, a nice little bit of classism yes. here. Oof, dash it all, Aunt Jane, said Raymond. Don't spoil all the romance. Joyce and I aren't like the milkman and Annie. That is where you make a mistake, dear, said Miss Marple. Everybody is very much alike, really. But fortunately, perhaps, they don't realize it. Boom. The end. (laughs) Tuesday Night Club, out. Can you imagine what his proposal would have been like? 
Believe me, my dear Miss Elizabeth, that your modesty adds to your other perfections. But you can hardly doubt the object of my discourse, however your feminine delicacy may lead you to dissemble. For as almost as soon as I entered the house, I singled you out as the companion of my future life. <laughs> Nothing remains but to assure you in the most animated language of the violence of my affections. He probably didn't even get a good ring. Because she's not wearing one, otherwise Miss Marple would have noticed that. That's true. Although she did call her dear Aunt Jane at the beginning of this story. and She did. And she was Ms. like, Marple oh, a I don't know why I did that. And Miss Marple's like, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> she really does stare Joyce down and be like, you don't know why you're calling me that? Are you serious? <laughs> so this actually brings us to an end of the Tuesday Night Club specifically. In a lot of collections, there are actually 13 stories. It was collected in the U.S. as a 13 Problems because then there's another whole set because of short stories as well. some of these well. lovely people come back again. Oh, yes. Sir Henry Clithering certainly does. Yep. We will get to them eventually, but that is an end to the Tuesday Night Club proper. I will actually say, though, that I do think it's curious. We mentioned this once before that it's so interesting that that mid-aughts Agatha Christie's Marple series chose to adapt non-Miss Marple stories when they ran out of Miss Marple novels, even though they had all these short stories. And I do understand a lot of these short stories are not super easily adaptable, especially given the odd narrative structure. It's Miss Marple listening to them and not actually taking part of them. But this one is a Miss Marple story. I mean, this one seems to me eminently adaptable. It really does. I mean, I guess the only qualm they might have had is how do you introduce a Tuesday Night Club when you haven't done any of the other ones? I think you could just adapt this one as a straight-up Miss Marple's niece is in trouble. And she goes and, you know. We will eventually get to one of the other short stories within the larger 13 Problems collection. It's called The Blue Geranium. And that one was adapted in Agatha Christie's Marple. I just don't understand why they didn't adapt The Thumb Arc of St. Peter. They should have. Rather than doing The Secret of Chimneys, for right. example. Right. I mean, that's a really valid question. I have no idea. Yeah. If you have an idea, dear listener, please do let us know. We would love to hear from you. Join us next week when we will be shifting gears and tackling another short story, but this one, a Poirot, the Le Mesurier Inheritance, which we touched on really briefly a few episodes ago when we were having a conversation with Dr. Mark Aldridge, who is just a font of information about all these things. And we are intrigued because this is the only Poirot short story or story of any type that was not adapted by the Suchet ITV series. I think that what you can all tell is that after mainlining those Murder on the Orient Express adaptations, uh, your faithful co-hosts needed a little bit of an adaptation break. Yeah, we're a little tapped out. But also we're a little bit curious about this because obviously it's an oddity that it was not adapted. And I don't know if I've ever read it actually. I don't think that I have. I've read a description. It does not look familiar. 
I'm intrigued. Sometimes I just don't remember, and then halfway through, I, I you know, I remember that I read it. But we'll find out. And best news yet, it will not involve Raymond West. <laughs> no Raymond West in this story. There need, there should be a Raymond West Poirot crossover. Oh no, there should not be. That's a terrible idea. Take it back. They might actually be friends. Who knows? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I wonder if Raymond West and Ariadne Oliver ever went to the same, like, book fairs together as They would celebrated hate each authors. other, though. They would hate each other. I feel like that could be a writing exercise, like a, a conversation. A fanfic exercise. We're going to just start writing Ariadne Oliver, Raymond West confrontations <laughs> at like some literary convention in like 1950. <laughs> all right. Well, in the meantime, please give us an email at allaboutthedame at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at allaboutthedame or on Facebook. Our Facebook page is All About Agatha. You can contact Catherine on Twitter at Brobcat or you can find us on Instagram at All About Agatha. Please do take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us out. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.